Hey guys, uh, since our last episode, I I took a flight out to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I went to the uh, Bodana-inspired convention, or Bodana-put-on convention called Save Against Fear. And uh, the unfortunate thing is we don't really have an episode for that because I spent all of Save Against Fear just kind of basking in the glory of being around so many things uh, therapeutically oriented people who are into games as well. And it was a fantastic experience. And uh, just just some quick highlights. I took a class that was a, a CEU-based class uh, put on by Bodana that uh, was a discussion and a teaching on how to use uh, therapeutic role-playing games or how to, how to create therapeutic environments within role-playing games. And that was a fantastic class. There was a more advanced class going on in the other room that I probably should have taken because I probably knew most of the stuff we were talking in there. But I was just so excited to get a class that was going to give me CEUs for you know for my for my licensure and still be able to talk about games. And and so what exciting work Bodana is doing to to have more people involved in this process of talking about therapeutic role-playing and building models for us to learn how to use role-playing games in therapeutic situations. So that that was a fantastic experience. I, I made a lot of friends there, and we're building uh, a community of providers who all want to use gaming in some kind of therapeutic sense. Now that community has kind of been building for a while, but it was just exciting to be in a room full of people that all kind of had the same vision for what we could do. We may have different ways of going about it. We may have different struggles that we face in our various states and our various licensures and things of that nature. But just to know that the work is being done, <laughs> you know, it's it's everybody's working on their little piece of the puzzle, but eventually we can all come together like in a place like Save Against Fear and talk shop. And talk shop we did. We had uh, uh, on Saturday night, we had like maybe a three to four hour uh, bar talk gab uh, collective of us talking about the different modalities we use, the different ways that we deal with gaming and therapy. You know, there's some heated discussions about how games are used and, and what kind of models we should use as we use these games. Just a lot of fantastic uh, energy surrounding the idea of using games in therapy. And, uh, of course, the our, lots of Lots of people were there that we've talked to in the past. There was uh, um, Cameron, uh, Camden Wright uh, from One Child's Heart. There was, um, of course, uh, the Bodano group was there, and Brian and Tim were there. So it's fantastic to get to meet all these people and, and make new friends. So I'd really like to do an episode more about Save Against Fear in the future, and maybe we'll pull Bodana on again and talk to them about Save Against Fear, but I just want to encourage everyone. So maybe you're you're listening to our show and you're not therapeutically oriented, like you're, you're enjoying the validation and you're enjoying the discussion of how games work and how games can impact us and, and change our lives. I want to encourage you to go to Save Against Fear uh, next time uh, just because this is such an open and, and amazing community of people, and there were lots of there were lots of great role-playing games going on. So if you didn't even just want to get there to just to, to talk about the therapeutic aspects or transformational aspects of board gaming, 
or of tabletop gaming or whatever, then there were plenty of outlets. You know, there were there was a group of people there that had nothing to do with the psychology of board gaming, and they were just there to play. Uh, maybe they knew who Bodana was, and maybe they didn't. Maybe they were local to Harrisburg. Maybe they're coming from Philadelphia and, and places around uh, to to enjoy the show. But there was community everywhere. It was fantastic. So, and and the next, I don't know, maybe the next four to six new episodes are going to be generated from that Save Against Fear experience. That's not to say I don't have episodes in the can that you're going to experience before we get to that point. But, um, you know, upcoming, I can tell you, we're going to be talking to Doug Lewandowski, who created Kids on Bikes. We're going to be talking to... Um, just I can't list everybody. We're just going to talk to a lot of folks that I met at Save Against Fear, and I think that you're going to be pretty excited about it, like I was excited about it. So it was a it was a place of creative endeavor. It was a place to meet people and hobnob and find like minded people. All right. So that advertisement being over now, <laughs> this episode of Rolling for Change is primarily about how we create community and friendship through board gaming. And I know we've discussed this particular topic on a few occasions, um, but this one kind of gets to the heart of at least where our group are at. And so the the players here are myself and Susie, Brian and Ginger. So we're all going to talk about kind of the impact that board gaming has had on our lives and, and you know what it's done for us. And hopefully that's validating for you as well. All right, well, I'm going to let you get started on it, and uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Rolling for Change, a podcast about the transformational, <laughs> transformational nature of gaming. My name is Woody Harris, and I am joined by all my wonderful co-hosts. I have here with me Susie Harris. Hello. Hello. And Brian and Ginger Peace. Hello. Hola, mi amigo. ¿Qué pasa? Uh, we are missing Josue. That is about the extent of my Spanish, by the way. <laughs> and I was about to go to the extent of mine, which is uh, bien. <laughs> <laughs> it, yes, we are missing Josue, but I, I think the decision has been we are not ever going to have five people on the podcast, or at least it's going to be very rare. Okay. So uh, I, I think Josue would love to join us, but he also feels like five is a little too many. So, hey, guys, we are going to talk today... We're, we're almost extending our discussions about uh, gaming and the way it develops relationships. And we are particularly talking today uh, regarding Susie's inspiration to talk about friendship. So I'm going to let Susie kind of set us up for what we're talking about, and then we'll carry from there and see where we're going. So your inspiration, your your brainstorm that, that brought us to this point, talk about that. Mm. Well, actually, it was a conversation Ginger and I were having about the difficulty that adults have in making friends yeah. and just and I've had this conversation with lots of different people but it was just um 
the fact that when you're an adult, you don't really have uh, you, you have common interests with people, but you don't really have a place on a regular basis where you can encounter strangers in a space that encourages you to um, make friends. Like kids, it's easier because they either have a playground where they can just run up and play with kids on the playground or school where you're stuck with these kids for and if you're in elementary school for eight, seven, eight hours a day, if you're in middle school, you know, you have classes with them and you have those classes with them every single day. So you, that breeds a, a commonality between you and makes making friendships easier and same going into college. You have the same concept, but when you're an adult, yeah, you have friends at work, but uh, how you put this? You see them in a very limited place and usually your focus, you chat with people, but not very long. Like you don't have the time all day long to chat with them. You're usually focused on getting your work done. So it's a different place. So I was saying that as Woody and I, you know, we had a small group of friends that we saw on a regular basis. and. A lot of those friends were Woody's friends from when he was younger, high school, college, that kind of thing. And then we had a few that we made from work and that was about what we had. And it was a, it was a fairly small group of people that we would see. And then we met Leslie and Dave at the, at Dragon Con at the gaming area. And they introduced us to the whole board gaming community. And suddenly our friendship circle expanded immensely. And it was because we suddenly had a space where we got to spend seven, eight hours, however long, you know, a day of gaming would be with people. And we did this on a regular basis suddenly. And so it just introduced us to all these people and we had a common interest. And suddenly we were in that same space as when we were kids in terms of having that ability to make friends fairly easily again and it was really cool to think about that and go okay so board gaming if you do it in a specific way really does encourage you as adults to get to create a big community and have friends again and have a good group of friends i think especially in atlanta where we've got such a huge group of people that are focused on it and there's so many opportunities so that was where it all came from and that was my thought was well this would be good to talk about <laughs> absolutely on a podcast so that was my my brainstorm so i'm thinking i'm just kind of reflecting on what you said and i am realizing okay you're right uh school probably offers a special moment in which socialization is really easy to happen but when you get to work, there is a different sort of, I mean, school, you're supposed to have tasks that you're focused on. You're obviously focused on professors and teachers talking to you about various things. And hopefully you're connecting to other people on the basis of those those discussions. Um, but there is also a lot of downtime, which uh, kind of creates an opportunity to build relationships with other people. You get to work and now you're very task focused. You're very... Um, you know, work doesn't often lend itself to becoming long-term friendships. A lot of times because the people you're working with are either directly subordinate to you or directly 
whatever the opposite of subordinate is to you, uh, the above you kind of thing. So they're, they're, you're subordinate they're, or they're subordinate to you, one of the two. And that, that makes making relationships a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, you bring your baggage along. <laughs> I'm telling friends baggage. That's terrible. You bring your friends along from for the ride from the history, for your own history. Um, probably one of the reasons that maybe high school unions and things like that are so meaningful is because you go back and collect people that maybe you didn't have around before. And uh, so now now as adults, you're right. I, I think I think you're right. You know, and I, I'm thinking to add to that, there's probably some special significance to gaming as a hobby that that creates this benefit of developing relationships that is much different than, say, um, a collecting stamps group or a group of people who... I'll, I'll go off a little further uh, and say, you know, I was previously a member of other subgroups, like I, I'm a huge fan of the Grateful Dead, but my friendship circle did not really increase when I was a huge fan of the Grateful Dead. It was very minimal. There wasn't as many entry points into relationships as I've found in gaming, and I'm wondering if maybe you guys can talk about what do you think is the reason that uh, gaming, tabletop gaming in particular, induces that sort of relationship building or that friendship? Well, one of the things about concert going is it's specifically an activity where there is no conversation except maybe before and after a concert, but you're all there for one purpose, which is to focus all of your attention on the stage. At a board game, you're all focused on the game, but you're not all necessarily completely focused the whole time. There is downtime for each person while someone else takes their turns. And so you have that framework of socialization. You can sit down for like an hour, an hour, hour and a half, two hours for a game. And that's an hour, hour and a half, two hours where you've got to fill in the void between turns. And it gives you an opportunity just to talk. And, and I would say even if it's uh, even if it's not a lot of downtime, I, I'm just thinking, kind of thinking aloud, that as you increase the number of types of games you play, and games change in their focus, you know, you've got a game that's a pressure luck game. You've got a game that's a deck builder game. You've got a game that's a dungeon crawl. Each each different sort of level creates a new sort of, we'll call it a conversation piece in front of you, um, in which you're going to interact in a very limited capacity. You're going to see people in a very limited capacity. You know, most likely, dungeon crawl doesn't lend itself to being a point of discussion to start talking about uh, the political ramifications of. Um, I don't know, blood diamonds or something like that. Um, instead, it's more of we're focused on the topic that is in front of us. And there is indeed a topic. There is some discussion that can be had because the we're playing a game together. We're either working against each other or working for something like we're cooperative. Uh, so that might make it different from a concert. I, I would have thought as a, as a member of a contingent of Grateful Dead fans that that would have been quite a, built community and and what it comes down to is it's more like a recognition like if you're in this group you're in this group good it's good to see you again let's enjoy the show uh but it's much different at a gaming table so we're having this talk and i i imagine there's this conversation between 
uh, Ginger and Susie. And uh, Ginger, what did you think? What were your inputs at that point? Um, when we were younger, um, me and my late husband, we would, you know, have people over for dinner and mo- like like Susie says most of your your friends that after you get out of high school or after you get out of college is going to be met through um, work and some of the people you meet at work you know it's more of acquaintances you don't have long-lasting re- friendships there is a few here and there but you don't have the same likes and bonds of of things besides work you know you can talk about work so long but really when you when you come home you don't want to sit there and talk about work 24 7 and so to me i think board gaming is a way of an outlet of um, meeting people and that have the same likes and it's just more of a camaraderie of being able to to form that bond of of hey do you like this type of game I do too let's play this game and let's talk about it and let's enjoy you know that at like Brian said an hour maybe two hours together and then like when you're at a con you could just go and talk to somebody else and you're like okay y'all have fun we're gonna go meet these new people over here and and play a game with them and um and play another game and and introduce you to new things and new aspects and it's more of a enlightening time and i guess i i like the idea of um meeting new people too it's just like any other um way of building friendships whenever you're in high school you kind of build friendships based on interests, but a lot of your friendships you build based on the people who you actually have access to at any given time. Um, once you get a car, you connect, or someone gets a car who can drive around, it becomes more along the lines of going and hanging out and just exploring your newfound freedom together. But the real reason why you got together was because you happened to go to the same school. At work, you you all happen to get work at the same place. If you meet through any other way, it's because you happen to be a part of the same group and you're pushed together. In board game circles, there's more freedom to expand, but also you come together not because you were pushed together because of a place you decided to work or because of the neighborhood you happen to live in if you get together with people in your neighborhood, but because you have a common interest. And that forms closer friendships than anything else, having a common um, a common interest. Yeah, so things like Meetup, uh, meetup.com, which is a great website for gathering people under a common interest, probably serve to I guess the idea is we're creating environments in which we choose the activity and other people come together with us based on choosing that activity as well so we've all kind of got some similar interests Um, I mean I guess there's kind of two ways to sort of look at making friends and one is kind of this laissez-faire like if you come into my orbit I will talk to you and the other is I'm going to seek you out 
And I think there's a little bit of both when it comes to the board game relationship because when I think about the relationships I've developed, and, and a good caveat for all listeners is that uh, we would not know Brian and Ginger had we not attended board game gatherings. Um, I, I think that it's that's almost like I'm going to go there on the basis of my interest and uh, I'm making friends on the basis of my interest versus I'm going to make friends and my interest becomes secondary. I think, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, um, I didn't actually go into gaming communities with the idea of developing community or friendships or anything of that nature. I went because I was a game fan. I wasn't looking to build community. I didn't even think about the option of building community. I only thought, oh my God, there's all these games and there are people that want to play them. Well, I, whenever I was in, um, just in high school and just starting college, I got really big into role-playing games. And from that point, I kind of built a community of people. Well, a community of people was built that I was part of. And eventually, you know, as things happen, you get out of college and you all kind of spread out and go your separate ways, develop different interests. And you, we, I stay in contact with some of them. But I went into the board game community fully expecting and hoping to build some kind of community of people I could have a regular relationship with. I had, you know, drifted away from a lot of the people I'd known before, and I wanted a new community. I wanted a fresh start, so I jumped into this community. When I first started playing board games, I would um, beg my siblings to play. And my siblings would play maybe a half a game not even a full game with me. And then they'd be like, oh, I'm bored. I got something else to do. And I'd be like, come on, finish the game. And they'd be like, no, I'm done. And then when I became, um, started dating Brian, and he was like, oh, and I played board games. And I was like, oh, somebody likes board games also? Can I play a full board game, please? And then I was so excited, and Brian's like, hey, there's a meetup we can go to. I was like, really? There's other people that play games? And I was like, oh, let's do this. And so we started going to different people's houses, and then Brian was like, um, there's there's conventions that you can go to. I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, they're called cons. And I was like, oh, let's do this. And then I started meeting more and more people that like board games. And I'm like, I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, oh, I'm marrying this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I have, I am an introvert. So I have, I struggle with when I'm in a group of people striking up conversations when I don't know people because they just I don't know what to say I feel awkward and I just it takes a lot of energy for me to 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 do that kind of thing and the thing with the board games that I found is that it's so nice to sit down at a table with people I don't really know and be able to focus on something that generates conversation I don't have to think up conversation starter because the game provides that automatically because you've got to talk to people about if you're learning a game or if you're teaching a game or whatever there's 
automatically conversation that happens because of that. So it presents you with a way of starting up talking to other people. And then usually what happens is you have conversation that just stems naturally from that. It will bring up a memory or a story that they've heard or something funny or whatever. And conversation just goes from there. And it, so for me, it's, it, it helps make me more social because it takes that stress out of it that I just, I always have when I'm meeting new people or when I'm meeting people that I don't know very well. So that's been huge and it's been really nice. Yeah, I think early conversations with people as you're, you know, you're, you're venturing out and trying to be outgoing. Uh, I'm not myself a particularly outgoing person, um, or at least I haven't been in the past. I don't think I was really seeing that side of myself until I encountered uh, the board gaming community. But I, I do remember that, um, you know, it, it's generating conversation, you're right, is not a hard thing to do at all because we have this thing in front of us that requires attention in a certain direction and we have to we have to puzzle it out and make sense of it and we have to ask questions and it, it almost solves the problem of well, what do we have to talk about if we meet, you know, it's not what do we have to talk about, we have something to talk about and then if I get a wild hair or if I find some kind of tangential moment where it makes sense to address other parts of my life, then... I have this doorway because now I've I've free enough. I already know you because we've we've actually, we've we've shared uh, worker spaces together at this point. <laughs> so we we got to be friends now. So uh, I, I a question I came across while we were talking about this is, and and you guys can shoot it down if you want. But uh, if you didn't have gaming, would the friendships that you created while you were gaming, maintain? Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. Okay. I have several friends who I've made through gaming who I have zero problem hanging out with them without board games being played. Right. The two of you are obvious examples of that. Right. We get together from time to time, and there are no games played at all. Like the other night whenever we came over and just watched Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, or the other night when we we went to uh, the, the festival together to uh, see Blair Cremens. Yep. So those kind of situations, you know, you you develop a friendship enough that you don't need the game between you. There are other people who, if it weren't for the games, you might not have as strong a bond with. Um, they're more acquaintances, or you know friendships in a way you might hang out with them from time to time but it's that community that brings you together the friends that you were interacting a lot with before you discovered gaming and i I gather that most of us have had a long history of gaming but there have been spaces in which gaming wasn't the primary focus are those friends still as prominent in your life or has gaming pulled you away from them um, I really don't have a whole lot of friends who aren't into gaming. Um, primarily because in any friendship, you need some common interest that brings you together. If you have no common interest, it's really hard to become close friends. 
Um, for instance, my friends, the people I know in my life who are primarily sports fans and don't play games, um, and the thing they talk about and think about most sports, I don't ever become really close friends with them because I have nothing to talk to them about. Because the 75% of what they want to chat about is, you know, the latest in the football season. Right. And there's an entire season where they're so focused on a particular activity that there's no place for me because I have zero interest in it. Yeah, it's a it's a totally different language to me for the most part. Uh, for someone to come up to me and talk about sports, that's uh, that's probably as foreign as it is for me to go up to somebody and talk to them about a deck builder. That's it. Just right. doesn't. We don't cross paths that well, even though the two are games and there may be some common elements between the two. It it probably doesn't lend itself to being a, a crossover relationship that easily, unless you have someone who's a sports fan and a game fan. Or vice versa, game fan and sports fan. Um, and sports fan is a much more common sort of language that we use as a culture. People uh, really, you know, thousands of people don't get together to watch other people play games, where thousands of people do get together to watch other people play sports. It's maybe one of the one of the dividing lines between those two things. Although there are channels that allow thousands of people to watch board games being played, but typically we don't have stadium-sized events where people just watch a board game being played. Although, come to think of it, it'd be kind of neat. To we have watch. we have entire we have entire convention centers where people come together to play games. To play, though. yes, but we don't usually watch in that capacity where we were like getting hot dogs and watching other people playing. No, because board gaming is not a spectator sport; it's an activity. True. Some people would say the same about baseball. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I mean, it's not something that you would ever watch anyway. Right. It's something typically that you would participate in. Baseball and football, most people don't participate in it. They just watch it. That's true. True. Though I will say that Tabletop was a hugely popular TV show, and you were watching people play a board game. Those are actors who are playing a game. They are there that's to entertain true. you as well as play a game. That's true. That's true. Sure, but I imagine that's what most people are doing when they are doing a podcast or a video uh, a video cast uh, of a board game. They are hoping to be actors in some sense of the word. Yeah. Mm, but it has yeah. gotten people into the hobby that has never heard of the hobby. Sure. has not never heard of the hobby but as in as in got them interested in in board games that is not the um the ready available games that you can just walk into the the big box stores and grab right yeah the hasbro games and all that kind of thing yeah it's true so yeah so there's a few directions that i i, I catch myself thinking I, I could go at this point are there so if we're gonna say and and there's always going to be exceptions to our rules. But gaming creates friendship. That's kind of the caveat we're going under here. Are there games, are there situations where games destroy friendships? Diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of them are games where your goal is to specifically screw over the other players. Right. I take that games. Take that games, yeah. Take that games. And the meaner it is to do that the 
more likely it is to damage a friendship. Diplomacy is an ex excellent example of that. You make deals with people, and then your goal is to strategically lie about that. Right. Backstabbing is a, a way of life. Right. Um, Monopoly is never the one of those games. Drink. Drink. Um, where your goal is to screw people over and knock them out of the game. Um, games where games where you have to take that that aren't quite so friendship destroying are um, werewolf because yeah. it's such a quick game and True. because once you're kicked out it's still an an activity game it's one of those games where you can sit and just watch it and be entertained people gather at a werewolf game and they don't ever play they just watch the drama unfold so that's one of those that rarely destroys friendships but your goal is to screw people over but it's not personal it's just everybody's voting on you because because yeah yeah i mean it, it's, in, it's completely arbitrary especially at the start yeah in fact one of the general rules we typically that is really common in the game is whenever someone says well logically and we just shut them down no no you don't bring logic into this game <laughs> Because the minute you start bringing logic into it, then you start talking about how people are acting, how people are thinking, and you start overthinking things, and that's when you can get someone upset. So typically, we say, don't bring any logic into it. Mm -hmm. Just play the damn game. <laughs> well, I guess you're playing a role to an extent, so you're trying to be your character, but in a lot of times, you're trying not to show who your character is. So that yeah. that's kind of adds a dimension to it that if you're trying to act the part, so to speak, then yeah, logic goes out the window because you have hidden agendas and you have hidden roles that maybe take off in new directions and kind of force you to choose different things. Well, it's a game of mob rule, and mob rule typically tends to be severely lacking in logic and more about emotions and snap decisions. One of the things I I I re was reading an article and some of it was like bleh. But there was one line in the article that really stood out to me. Okay. And it was, improving at board games can prepare you for the game of life. Okay. Uh, and honestly, I have seen people who really struggle at making friendships. Yeah. Make friendships over a board game. I have hung out with people who I have seen them at their worst. And through playing board games and role-playing games where they had to be social with people they've learned how to understand social cues, how to understand facial and body cues. They've learned how to really interact better with people. Are those people perfect? No, but one of my friends who I've known since college, he has improved a great deal. And there are people who say, God, he's just, you know, I don't know about this guy. I say, no, no, he's a thousand times better than he used to be. And even he'll tell you, in college, I was kind of a jackass, but he's improved over time because we took opportunities to teach him life lessons through the game, and his life has been improved because of them. And, you know, that's one of the sides we talk about and when we talk about trying to apply the, the tool of the board game to building skills for people is that it, the game itself creates an aspect of... Uh, you have to sort of navigate social boundaries and social mores in order to play the game pro appropriately. This is why uh, you can take any game uh, 
and make a skill building set out of it because you can say, well, this requires this aspect of sociality. This requires this aspect of being empathetic with others. This requires this aspect of knowing how to respond to a challenging situation. So at that point, we can say we can build skills based on this and we can use board games as our tool for change, thus rolling for change. Uh, maybe we should start having people drink when I say rolling for change as well. If this is going to be any kind of meaningful <laughs> drinking game that people are playing, it, Monopoly and Rolling for Change now. Uh, is that a goal? Not a goal so much as a um, an ancillary uh, tangent. Sure. That's what I'll call it. Okay. One of All our right. friends, when me and Susie were talking and we were sitting down talking and they come up to us and say, well, what board game are y'all playing? And we jokingly say, we're playing the social game. <laughs> and the friend was jokingly back, said, I've never heard of that game. How does it go? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, you, uh, each person takes turns and sometimes you interrupt one another. Uh, but whoever has the dominance in the conversation gets to switch the conversation to a new topic. And if the other person doesn't approve of that, they usually say, excuse me, we were talking about X, and you've started talking about Y. I don't feel comfortable. Uh, <laughs> can we go back to X, or can we at least go to Z? Uh, yeah, I do like referring to, to it as a social game. Because sometimes I think that that when we're at conventions and stuff, when we're just sitting down and chatting with friends and not playing a board game, people are like, well, what the hell? You should be playing a board game. And you're like, um, well, I need a break for a second. Can I just have some time to chat? And it's like, no, no, you must play a board game at every single second you're here. You're a deficit here. So you're required to be playing a game. This is a board game convention. Uh, Don't you know this is a board game convention? Sit down at a table and put a board in front of you. In all fairness, you did spend a fair amount of money to come and play games, and time is precious. Yes, true. <laughs> but but I, so is your sanity. So is my sanity, and the fact that half of the, I would say more probably more than half of the reason I go to board game conventions is to see my friends. Yeah, social whoring. Yes, because I have a feeling all of us, once we, we reach the con, even if we don't reach the con at the same time, once you go into the game room, you go around and you say, hey to all your friends. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and if you've got See a home it. con, you end up saying hey to a lot of friends. Yes. Which is always so nice because it just is like, it's oh, I mean my people. Yeah. I'm at my yeah. I'm with my peeps. I've made and I've made the pilgrimage. Good. I'm at Mecca, and now I just want to uh, commune with others. Yep, exactly. So I, I sometimes I feel like that's for me the more important part than playing the board games is actually hanging out with my friends. And yes, I'm going to play board games. Trust me. But sometimes that's what I need more of. It's just the the, the talking to people and and. And feeling like I'm in a space that's safe and that I know these people and I'm I'm comfortable and I'm home. Especially if I've had a really rough yeah. <laughs> rough time of it. It's it's really nice to be able to just say, Okay, I'm with my peeps. I'm good. Even if I just sit here, have an have an adult beverage and chat, I'm good because I'm where I need to be. So 
Yeah, there's a de-escalation that happens when you walk into that room because you're you you know you're surrounded by people who support you. That's a pretty right. big deal. I mean, even you know, I'll even say it's true of places that I don't know everybody. But certainly, if you get a home con, then you do start to know everybody, and it does start to be this kind of like mm. uh, return to the womb almost, like <laughs> except it's a womb with a lot of a lot of inhabitants. Maybe this doesn't work as a metaphor. Uh, <laughs> For those of you who are wondering, uh, who may not be as conversant with our uh, terminology, a home home con means a con in your hometown or nearby. And and to be fair, I just made up the term today. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've heard it many times. Oh, okay, all right. It's been said before. I I don't know that I've said it before, but it... You might not have. Home con, you know, it's just, it's what happens in your home. Like you can't, or, or it can be... I go to this con every time, so it becomes a home con. Right. Uh, Dice Tower is a little bit right. of a home con for me because I know people there that uh, I see every time, and it becomes like, here I am uh, among my supported friends. Well, and we don't, and some of those, some of those people at like Dice Tower and stuff, we don't see any other time right, of the year. Right, right, We only see them there, and so that's so it makes it special. Yeah. Well, whenever I think of a home con. It's the ones that are close enough to your home that you can also see these people outside of the convention. That's that's a fair one, too. Um, You know, I've gotten to the point where I do know so many people there that rather than take an hour and a half to go say hi and hug everybody I know, I will immediately sit down at a table and try to ignore everybody because I think that that level of sociality that I need to, to provide suddenly is not in me. Like I'm exhausted. I've it's taken me a while to get there. I've got to, I've set up my games, and typically, uh, someone will have come up to me during the setup of games and said, "You're looking for a game," and I'll be immediately in a game. And then those people that I look around the room and I see and I'm like, "Okay, I got to talk to them. I got to talk to them. I got to talk to them." I just kind of ignore them for the moment and put it on the back burner because I know that that much immediate out outlay of energy is going to sap my energy and pulled me away from the purpose that I arrived for was to play games. Not that I don't want to see all these people. It's just kind of overwhelming. You know, it's, it's, uh, an orgy of friendship. Uh, that, that's the only way I have to put it because all I want to do is go around and hug everybody that I care about. Um, but as my, my bubble expands, the people I care about start to be an overwhelming number. Um, so one could even call it a game bang. Oh, 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 I'm hurting so much now, Brian. <laughs> You're welcome. I live to serve. Oh, Brian. <laughs> you going to the game bang? Should we grow? I am. <laughs> there, there is no known cure. Should we all groan? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Collectively. Yeah. Oh, uh, Brian. <laughs> Brian! <laughs> His mission here is accomplished. Wait, welcome to my world. <laughs> you live with that. <laughs> Words are my thing. What can I say? And now we want to pimp our games? What kind of things are going on here? There's a, there's a sexuality <laughs> to gaming that we don't talk about here. Actually, well, we already, already got, did those we've done that podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We didn't talk about the terminology we use, like pimp our games, uh, game bang, which is a brand new one for me. 
that's a new one that Brian just made up. So oh, that that's okay. Uh, friendship orgy is the one I just made up. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh. Oh man. Yeah, you put a big old meeple on your door instead of a pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Uh, just a sign that says you may place your workers here <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> well this uh this podcast just turned this a great big old left turn to albuquerque i got resources yeah it did come see me yeah yeah why are you collecting all those ziploc baggies <laughs> <laughs> and oh, uh the, the infamous you got wood for sheep <laughs> uh, uh, that deserved only a cackle and then a fall <laughs> <laughs> all right look so we know right. that games uh, it just kind of goes hand in hand games create friendship um i did ask the question as to whether or not uh, other friends um so I, I was reading a reddit and you know i was trying to do a little bit of research for the show to see kind of the things that people have talked about and one of the challenges that one person faced was he got into gaming he's excited about gaming and the first thing he wants to do is bring in his friend group that is not a gaming group into gaming. And I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Is that does that work? Does it not work? Is it what's what's the value here? Almost never. Almost never. It doesn't work. I don't know that it's. It has, I don't see that it's worked at all for us. No. It, it has not. I don't see it's worked for me either. <laughs> I was just going to say, because we have several friends that are close to us, that are very dear to us, that we have tried repeatedly to invite to gaming, gaming get-togethers and all that kind of stuff, and it just does not stick. I've tried to get my family to play a board game, a, a very um, beginner board game or card game or something, and... Everybody was like, well, we got to go. Bye. <laughs> I, I, however, whenever she proposed, it looked at her like she was crazy. Because I knew that was going to go over like a lead balloon. Yeah. Uh, with my family, it would be even worse. Um, <laughs> um, I, I will say this, though. Trying to introduce someone to a hobby that they don't have a desire to learn or that they've never sought out for themselves is really difficult. Uh, we were talking the other day about Babylon five yeah, yeah, and how I really had no interest in getting started on the show. Um, and I might someday still, but I had a friend who insisted that I must watch the show and he put some shows in front of me and that that was what we were going to do hanging out that day is we were going to watch about three or four episodes of babylon 5 and i have resisted ever since i'm all these years later i still have not seen any more of babylon 5 than what he showed me and i absolutely refuse to get involved in it yeah and the fact of the matter is if you drag someone kicking and screaming into something they're going to leave they're nine times out of ten gonna leave even more resistant because it wasn't something that they sought out for themselves. It wasn't something that they asked about. Now, if someone finds out you're into gaming and you sit and converse with them, they say, I'd really like to check that out. Then invite them. Yeah. 
But if you explain it to them, they say, I don't see how that's fun. Say, well, it might not be fun for you. If you ever want to check it out, let me know. Yeah, and, and that makes that makes good sense. You leave an invitation open, but you don't say, you need to come with me and check this out. You'll right. see. You're wrong. <laughs> probably, right. probably not. Well, that does, that's a pretty condescending way of putting it. And that, I'm, I would take offense if someone said something like that to me. Isn't that sort of relationship it, nomenclature where it's like, I can change him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, is. I'm dating I mean, you, it's... and there's there's things I want about you, and I, what I want is to mold you in the image that I want because you're not quite there yet. You're not finished. I'm here to finish. I'm you. not gonna. I'm not gonna lie and say in my younger years I wasn't of that thought process. To a lot of people were raised in that thought process. Sure. That mm-hmm. you know, if I just show you the benefits of what I'm explaining to you you will come around to my point of view. Right. Right. And then you grow up and you realize, well, that don't work. <laughs> Not remotely. Nope. Yeah, I mean, you can't just go around uh, exposing your meeple to other people and expecting them to uh, suddenly get excited. <laughs> oh, Lord. We were off that track and then we were Yeah, right we're going back, back to that track. <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> I just naturally gravitate uh, to the worst possible thing I could say sometimes. Which is another thing with thank God for games because otherwise I'd run everybody off. <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, as far as saying the worst thing you possibly could, you got nothing on me, kid. Sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep working on game banging. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I can say that I've wondered about this, and I don't have any way of measuring it. There's, there's no, I mean, I guess it's a social science sort of tool that I would need to determine but I'm wondering if there are certain personality types that are drawn to games, and therefore uh, those people are more likely to say, you say games, they say, yeah, let's do this, uh, versus other people who are just less likely to, to get engaged with that. Because I, I look at my history, and ever since I discovered what a game was, I've been a gamer. I had friends on either side of me who had multiple games, and I wanted to play them all, and the this is nothing bad about my friends, but the main reason I wanted to get together with them is because I wanted to play a game with them. I wanted to play their games with them, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to play a game with them, and I was excited <laughs> about the possibility. And And I guess those families really beefed up the game collection of their kids. I, I'm not sure if it's just because the kids said, hey, I want these games or whatever, but they, ne- they were never as game-oriented as I was. Nobody could ever play... Like, Nobody ever wanted to play games as much as I did, and even my family didn't want to play games as much as I did. We may play one round or one game of Payday, one game of Bonkers, maybe even one game of, God, if I was lucky, Dark Tower. But most of the time, it was I don't want to do that right now. Um, you know, so it was it was a it was a triumph when I got somebody to the table to play something, and uh, then you go to a place where we've all gathered and, and uh, the tribe is here. We've, we've met our, our group. We're all genetically predisposed to enjoy rolling dice. And uh, that's, that's a whole different world. Well, in my case, especially um, I've kind of done a lot of thinking about why I like games. And it's the idea of figuring out the mechanics of something, figuring out how something works how something locks together. Um, it's also part of my OCD. I like unpackaging and organizing games. Yeah. 
but it's something I can unpackage and organize that I can then do something specific with. Um, and also, unlike putting together machinery, I typically don't get injured while I'm doing it. So that's a bonus. Um, <laughs> that is I, a bonus. But I like learning the inner workings of a game. And in life, I can't figure out the inner workings because life is chaos. There's a cause and effect system that happens in life, but you typically can't see it until after the fact. In a game, you can get that sense of flow where you you get in the zone and you can see what's happening. You can see the matrix and it just works for you. And that's a feeling that most people seek out is that sense of accomplishment that they've, I mean, even if they don't win the game, the sense of accomplishment that they figured out how to play. And, you know, especially for those of us who are collectors, we, I had a, somebody stop over at the house the other day who was doing some work for us. And they said, out of these shelves, how many of these games have you never played? <laughs> I said, well, I said, well, let's see. I counted and went, I have three that I've never played and, and that on all these shelves and that's it. Like you've played every one of these games, but three of them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, that's where I stand right now. I do my best to learn how to play these games. Even if I just play them two-player with Ginger or three or four-player with you guys, I go out of my way to try to play all my games at some point. And it it it, it, it damages my soul that you have so many in shrink wrap. Because <laughs> he would tw tweak if he had any in shrink wrap. Oh, God. That would kill me. It kills me a little. You know, you bring up a good point, though, Brian, and I'm wondering if we can maybe go around and just define what it is you like about playing games. You defined yours. You kind of took it apart. What about you and... Uh, what about Ginger and Susie? My favorite is building an engine. Like, you know, a worker placement. You sometimes have to... Um, Get an engine going. Let, let's take um, Lords of Waterdeep. When you first start out, you have no resources and hardly any money. And you have to build up for money. You have to build up for resources and complete these quests. And, and then you can get a card that will give you more bonuses, points, for every time you complete um, a certain type of quest. And it's basically you get the engine going and you start going bam 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 here's some points bam 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 here's some yeah. more points yeah and usually in those games i'm the one who winds up going i i'm struggling for resources ginger's rolling in the crap just i'm like i got whatever <laughs> <laughs> so a nice good engine building game is makes me happy yeah she is one of those people who likes to yeah, she's a financial person, yeah. so she likes to build up on things and get an engine rolling and just, that's where she finds her flow. Once she locks into an engine and can get it building and running and it's just practically generating resources for her, she's found her state of flow. Okay. Susie, what about you? 
I think I enjoy the process of learning a game quite a lot. Um, and sometimes, and I will say that I, I tend to understand things fairly quickly. So there's only ever a few times when I don't understand a game really right off the bat. Um, it might take me a few a round or two and then I'm like, oh, okay, now I know what to do. And there are a few games where it took me at least half the game to figure it out and then I got pissed off. <laughs> but there's something about that whole experience of, oh, oh, I get what they're going for here. I understand what to do. Wingspan. Then, yeah. <laughs> and then from there going, okay, so what if I did this? And then trying all those different strategies. So the games that I love are the ones where I, I, I got it quickly and then I'm like, okay, so, and, and now there's a whole ton of different options on how to, how to, how to figure out how to, and not necessarily to win. I don't, winning is a bonus, but what I like to do is figure out, okay, how can I play this better than the last time I played it? Um, and, and trying different strategies and trying to figure out a better way of doing things for myself. So the games that I really love, like Concordia, I always try a different strategy every time we play so that I can, because I want to know if they all work well or what. So there are times when I lose fantastically at Concordia because the, the, the strategy I've chosen is like, yeah, it's not going to function. <laughs> but, um, and that's kind of why I like expansions to games just because then it, a lot of times it offers something new to it so that I can say, oh, so now I can try this strategy. Excellent. So I think that's my favorite part of it all is just learning things, learning new things and, and figuring out strategies and ways to, to do good and, and do my best play at the game. Yeah. One of my least favorite things is whenever Susie continuously says, I'm just not grokking this game. I'm not getting it. And then she wins anyway. <laughs> Damn it, Susie. <laughs> that, that's more ginger than Ashley. That that's was a number Leslie. of people I know. Yeah, that's both you and my wife sometimes. Oh, my Lord. So you guys have very yeah. different... Uh, I, I think you have similar amongst you, but you have... I, and I may change my, my tune in a given day, but at the moment, the thing that I think brings me to the gaming table, the thing I think that means the most to me is that I am engaging with a world that I'm not engaging with otherwise. So there's a microcosm that I'm entering into, in that microcosm, there's a, a sense of I can learn to make sense of things uh, much easier than I can in real-world situations, and I'm a sucker for a theme that will really draw me in. And even though like something like uh, Teotihuacan is not all that thematic, the art, the way that the mechanics work, the, the chemistry that goes into the play of the game even if I suck at it, even if my engine building skills are terrible, even if my you know, ways of learning to place workers doesn't always get me what I want, the uniqueness of the situation and the, the theming that is, it surrounds are what draw me to the game every time. So you'll find that a lot of the games I'm gravitating to are probably going to be thematic in some way, shape, or form. Um, but there is a social aspect that I... I I gravitate to, and I can say this, because, and I think Brian has said some of this, the idea that a game becomes the social lubrication, uh, I'm much 
like especially with people that I just don't know that well or people I haven't really talked to a lot outside of games, I can find myself very comfortable in the game because we've got I've got a focus now. I don't have any reason to feel like uncomfortable in silence or uncomfortable because I don't have answers because I've got something in front of me that gives me the answers. That's pretty meaningful to me is, is having that social relationship build. So it's not so much about winning, although winning is really nice. When I figure it out, it's, it's a good kudo backpack kind of moment where I can say, hey, I learned something. I figured something out. But what becomes most important to me, I think, is that I'm involving myself in a new world and I'm doing it with friends. Mm-hmm. And it's different than a movie. A movie, it's great. We sit there together. We enjoy the movie. We don't necessarily have a lot of social interaction during the movie. Games right. for social interaction, for the most part. Even something as uh, as insular as playing Jack the Ripper in Letters of Whitechapel, where you're trying to get away from the other people that are in the game, even that still creates some social lubrication that makes it much easier to to be interacting with other people. I will say that what what I was mentioning before about finding that state of flow is what drew me to games in the first okay. place. What's kept me gaming and made it kind of a, a hobby slash obsession is the community of it. That's what's kept me interested. Okay. Hmm. So the the game itself is the, the light that, the, that you as moth fly around, but... Uh, now, now that the light sometimes goes out, the community is still present. Bad metaphor. <laughs> no, that's good. Brian is a moth. <laughs> <laughs> Worshipping the sun, traveling around as much as he can, <laughs> going dormant when the light goes out. <laughs> no, not worshipping the sun. I only come out when the sun is down and seek out my lights. <laughs> I, I avoid the evil day star. Fair enough. Mm. So I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that gaming is definitely a social, a social gathering situation and that friendship is almost the direct byproduct of gaming with people that at least have a good heart. You know, you can play games with, a bat, with people that don't have a good heart or people that don't have the best intentions in mind. Everybody can misuse a tool. Um, but for the most part, it seems like the, the great majority of people who are game players, uh, have some kind of automatic connection with me and probably with you guys too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. It really is. Even Dice Tower Con, which is, heck, even Gen Con sure. we went, which is the biggest <laughs> gaming um, con in the country. And we're talking, 70, what, 50,000, 7,000? 7, so it's on a level with Dragon yes. Con. And I will say that I felt, and we've gone to Dragon Con for Many years times. and years and years. And I will say that I still, the first year that we went to Gen Con, I still felt more comfortable there than I ever did at Dragon Con. And that was the first year I'd gone, as opposed to all the years that we've gone to Dragon Con. And part of it had to do, of course, with the venue and all that kind of stuff. But I think 
a larger part of it was that this was we were all there for a purpose which was to learn and to play board games and that was really that, that's the overarching thing and you celebrate it in a thousand different ways but we were all there for the same purpose and it just and dragon con of course is about celebrating geekdom in a myriad of ways but there's it's so it feels so fractioned off um that but this was just a single focus for me and that really made me excited and it felt like these are my peeps even if there's seventy thousand yeah. of them and i don't know uh six i don't know sixty nine thousand you know nine hundred and whatever <laughs> of them i don't and, and i still had some anxiety going into that because it's such a large group of people but it was still there was less of that than I expected and it was because we all were there for the same purpose so okay this is I used to go to Dragon Con back in the 80s um, and it was a much smaller con Um, it was easier to deal with but as a larger con I have been in two separate ways once um, one way is as a, um, a volunteer, which is what I do every year, just about. Um, I have been a volunteer for the Buffy and Angel track, which eventually turned into the Joss Whedon track, which was eventually absorbed into another track altogether. But it was a wonderful time because you developed a community there mm-hmm. because you were all there for a common purpose to talk about these particular television shows and to yeah. celebrate them. And now I work for the art show and I've been there for almost a decade now and people come to the art show for one common purpose to view and potentially purchase art. They come there for the love of art. And so you have a common theme, a common form of discussion. I have also come as just a fan with no volunteering that year. And I never feel comfortable doing that. I don't like having no focus. Mm-hmm. And Dragon Con is the most unfocused convention I've ever been to. It's a celebrity pop culture con, but pop culture takes a myriad of different facets. And people who are and people some people who are there are not even there really for the con. They're just there just to just to bask in the glow of celebrity or to get drunk mm-hmm. and party. You don't see that as much at a board game con because every single person is there for one reason to play games right no one is there just to go to room parties in fact i've are there room parties there. being a room party at most i'm sure there might be but probably <laughs> i've never but been to one because it's not one of the primary functions of i mean the all convention. our wife swapping happens at the right. tables through <laughs> <laughs> that um but honestly the reason why Dragon Con is not such a thing for us is because it's so unstructured from our point of view. We have to figure out what we're going to do, and what I want to do now is in this hotel. What I want to do later is in that hotel. Mm, and in between, true. we have to travel through people who may or may not be of our our inclinations. True. Whereas at a board game, board game convention, most of the people there are our people right that's true and that's that's kind of what i was getting at and and i don't want to have make this sound like uh, i'm not a, a fan of dragon con because obviously i've gone 
multiple years. So there's some huge positives to Dragon Con that it will never go away. But but when you're talking about for someone with some some social anxiety and some social insecurity and introversion and all that it was a revelation to me to find a $70,000, 70,000 people con that I actually was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> I'm all, there's, there's still a little bit, but it, it's so much less than I expected it to be. And I'm okay. I can do this. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was really, it was really nice to feel that. So, and, and it just made the smaller cons that we've gone to that much more awesome for me. Because then I was really, I was really comfortable at those. Um, me and Brandon did play a little game. Um, we, cause, um, we got to the hotel for Dice Tower Con a day early. And so our hotel overlooked the pool. So me and Brandon were <laughs> at the <laughs> window. Oh, I remember this. And as people were going by... <laughs> We were going, one of us, and then not one of us. <laughs> and as they were going by, we were we were like, okay, they're totally one of us. <laughs> yeah. Or not. <laughs> well, yeah, because there's always a contingent at, at Dice Terracon, even though I would say the majority of the hotel is made up of people going to Dice Tower. And they're not always, there. they're not all there for that, so there is a contingent. Yes, you can definitely tell our people. I mean, what gave it away? The <laughs> ticket to ride bikini? Most <laughs> uh, um, of the the shirts that um, that are black that say something on them. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. That's automatic. Yeah. That and it's the people who are walking from one of the hotel rooms right past the pool and straight toward in a beeline, like they have a destination, a purpose. Yeah, <laughs> that actually might hit a hit yep. a note right there, Brent Brian. The uh, idea that purpose. So even if I go to a place at Dragon Con, I can prior to Dragon Con, if I'm if I'm good, I can prior to Dragon Con sit down and like really work out a schedule and try to figure out how to work, how to be where I need to be. And it, it, there's a little bit of a time management game going on. And uh, how do I get myself over here as quickly as I possibly can so I can see this person who I'd never see you know, in a million years at any other convention. Um, so that, that for me, being able to organize something, even if that organization is going to fall apart, being able to organize something and follow a, a path means something to me. And that may mean, that may be very similar to what goes on with gaming for me, is that I I get to plan something out and follow my own sort of trajectory to its end. Good or bad, you know, I may really suck up pretty badly and uh you know somebody may get stars before i do in scythe or or they may you know develop uh, incredible engines in uh in i don't know say bora bora it having a, a vision of a direction the the games that i do least well on and the games that i probably enjoy the least are the ones where i'm disorganized and not able to organize myself so maybe that also speaks to my my love of gaming is it gives me a trajectory and it, that kind of crosses over with Gen Con and Dragon Con where I can kind of put together a plan of action that I can follow and be driven from one event to the next event 
without having any reason to think about what the intervening time is going to look like. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. The the For Dragon Con, the most successful years that we've had have been ones where we've carefully planned out everything and done it right where we understand timing and and allow ourselves time to get places and all of that but we we've pretty much planned it all out so that we don't have we have a little bit of time to wander but you know we don't have a ton because when we when we find ourselves wandering we get overwhelmed with everything that's around us so whereas it's nice with the board game conventions that that's not an issue that's not a problem it's not about having to get somewhere or go somewhere or do something it is about hanging in this room or several rooms picking a board game and sitting yeah. down and playing and that's all you're doing and so it, there's a, a general for me sense of relaxation because i've got one thing to do <laughs> besides talk to my friends and that's pick a board game yeah, and the play. only real overwhelm might come it. from actually having to pick the board game yeah, that that's a whole another AP kind of thing. It's nowhere near as bad as trying to pick out where you're going to eat in between games. <laughs> yes. Holy crap. Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, Jesus, that is the, the most ridiculous time. Oh. It's the most ridiculous <laughs> time of the year. Okay. Of the con, Of the con. Yeah, because everybody has different yes. tastes and... and, and yeah, and then trying to coordinate all of that into one restaurant. <laughs> Plus the fact that you usually, well, at least at Dice Tower Con and at Gen Con, you pretty much have to leave the con to get the stuff that might be any good. Yeah. I mean, you can eat at the con, but... Eh. Yeah. but then And you've got to coordinate the people who are finishing games and the ones who are standing around, and you don't want to have too much standing around so that it... Yeah. 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 It's a good time. Yeah, coordinating when people are going to finish their games. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, you guys were going to take another, you know, oh half an hour to finish your game. So we just jumped into another game that should have only taken 20 minutes, but it's really <laughs> taking 45. So you guys have to wait another 15 now you minutes. Wait. Well, we got a filler game that should only take about 15 minutes. Oh, God. This is what I think about when you Eight say all that. I think around. about the game Jungle Hunt. You guys ever play Jungle Hunt? Jungle. So Jungle no. Hunt is not no. a board game, it's a video game, typical co op video game that you go to uh go to uh, uh arcade to play back in the 80s um and one the first part of jungle hunt is these swinging vines are above you and you're trying to jump to catch the swinging vine well you catch swinging vine number one but now you've got to find the right time to catch swinging vine number two because it has a sequence that doesn't match the sequence that you're on so you may slowly rock back and forth while it's going really fast so you have to Figure out what's the right time to jump from my vine to that vine. That's board gaming in the in the sense of like I'm ready to play a new game. When is the other team going to be ready to play the game? I'm trying to figure out how to jump the vine. So it's very similar, but kind of a level up from. Um, oh God, I can't. Pitfall. Remember Pitfall. Pitfall. Yes. I don't yep. know which came first, but they're very similar to each other in in that way. They're scrollers. They're they're the side scrollers. They're quickly solve the the physical puzzles that are there <clears throat> but yeah that that swinging back and forth became really an issue uh, until you sort of figured out the pattern this one moves lazily 
this one moves fast, and that's board games because this game takes this amount of time, this game takes this amount of time, and you want to you want to be able to in, visit and spend time with all your friends, but you're on track one, and they're on track two. And when you finish the board game with the friends that you're with, you're with the friends you are with. <laughs> they're the only yeah, ones who finished the game. Yeah. So yeah. you look around and you're like, oh, okay, we're going to either sit here for a certain amount of time waiting on other people so we can break it up and move on, or we could just play another game. By the way, Nerdy Knowledge Pitfall came out in... April of 1982, Jungle Hunt came out in August of 82, so about the same time. Interesting. April versus August. So August was when the co-op came out, the coin-op came out, and uh, Pitfall came out before that. Interesting. It had very similar aspects. You had to swim through a river and get past things, and um, I don't know if I ever got past the river. There, there might have been more levels to go through kind of thing. You know, typical side-scroller, you're just going for a while. It did automatically go side scroll to the left, not the right. Uh, that was interesting. All right. So we've talked about gaming and friendship, and we've talked about why we play games. It's a little bit of a three pronged attack here. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything that you guys want to add before we close out? I think I just want to say that I am eternally grateful. Ooh, sorry. Eternally grateful that I've discovered gaming because it has really helped me to develop some deep friendships and some and a community that I can rely on for more than just entertainment and and you know board gaming but friends who are there for each other uh, whatever we need and that kind of so it's outside it becomes a community outside of just board gaming and that's been hugely positive and um, influential in my life so I'm very grateful for all of that. I ditto to what Susie said because she said it better than I could. <laughs> but it's basically the same thing. I'm very grateful to all the friends that I've made through the through the years of gaming. And it has helped me tremendously emotionally, physically, as in, as in gets me out of the house and doing things. And it's it's been a... 100% positive on my life. I'm one of those people who, um, before gaming, I was kind of reticent to call people to hang out because everybody I knew kind of felt like an acquaintance. Um, I always felt like I was bothering someone to call them and say, hey, do you want to hang out? Because then they would say, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want and to do? Nothing but crickets in my head. I don't know. What do you want to yeah. do? Uh-huh. I, nothing but crickets in my head. I can't. I couldn't think of any activity that would get us together to do something. And friends would come over, and unless we were playing a game of some sort, we sat and watched TV. We might have talked a little bit, but just hanging out, there was a lot of my friends were from high school and college, and we didn't have anything other than those interests to really draw us together. Then I started coming together with games and suddenly I had friends who all had a common interest. And I still was that guy who felt like unless someone calls me to someone calls me to come over, I'm not going to go anywhere because I don't want to call them because I might be bothering them. They may be busy. Mm -hmm. And the two things that really 
helped me get out of that were the advent of the internet and my interest in board gaming. Because now we can be social with people without having to get on the phone, and I'm horrible on the phone. And we can just send little, small <laughs> messages, and you don't have to wait for, you don't have to have an immediate response. You can respond later. You can send someone a text message, and later on they can say, oh, I didn't see this, yada, yada. And you're like, I don't care. As long as you get back to me, I'm good. Um, no, I'm busy. Or you can send out an invite to something. And people who can't come just can't come. And it doesn't feel as as personal when they don't do that, when they can't make it. Because they can always tell you why. And you don't spend two or three hours on the phone talking to each individual person then trying to make small talk because you don't want to just call and say, hey, you want to come over? No. Oh, well, all right, bye. But on the internet, that's essentially what you do. They say, oh, I, I can't make it. I'm busy that day. Okay, well, we're going to miss you. And then there's no further big conversation. You don't feel obligated to make small talk. And that's where I don't do well is small talk. I mean, like other than, you know, I've, I've gotten better at it over the years. But when I was younger, that was a hard thing for me. And so this whole thing of having a reason to get together and having something that everyone's passionate about. So whenever you say, hey, you guys want to get together to play games, when someone says no, you know they really can't do it. Because otherwise, they say, oh, heck, <laughs> right. yeah, let's go play some games. Because mm -hmm. everybody's yep. got the same level of passion for it. They're like, oh, yeah, I want to play some games, but I got to work. Right. Yeah. You know, just uh, just to echo uh, what Susie and well, pretty much what everybody said, games have made a huge change in my life. I went from being a person who knew they loved games and had very little outlet to a person who knew they loved games and had a network of people to play those games with. It's changed me in so many ways. I mean, we talk about Rolling for Change being about transformation. Gaming has changed my life dramatically since I've discovered the community that exists around gaming. There's no aspect of my life that hasn't been touched in some way. I mean, the things that I do in my spare time, the ways that I think about my life, the all the various categories that my life might might fall under have been impacted by gaming. That's that's a hell of a testament to any hobby activity. Whether it's some kind of genetic predisposition I was born with, some kind of social structure that I got as a result of the reinforcements that I got from playing games, whatever it might be, it's made huge changes. This podcast is a result of it, obviously. My friendship with Brian Ginger is a result of it. My friendship with a ton of people is a result of gaming. So I, mm -hmm. I can't say enough good things about what games have done for me. And I know I'm particularly talking about tabletop games. I think that's mostly because video games don't put us face-to-face -face as much. Couch co-op, maybe. But uh, typically we don't get a lot of face-to-face -face time on, on other types of games, on video games for the most part. Jackbox, Jackbox is, is an, an exception. exception. I will say, though, that I was just thinking about this because you and I are talking about it with our son because he's... He's a video game obsessive. Yes. He loves them. But he plays with his friends. And they are, I mean, it, it's it's just amazing listening to them. They all, they have jokes. They have 
they, they sit there and they talk and they talk hours, hours with each other through discord mm -hmm. or through phone or whatever. So while it's not face to face, it is still, it can still be a highly social and interactive thing with video games. Yeah. It's all in how you play yeah. it. So I've been pretty impressed with how social that it's become for him. And it's, it's been a way of connect, keeping the connection to his friends, even when they don't, they're not going to get together. Well, I've seen a lot of people say that you can't be social online. You have to be face to face with people. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, once upon a time they said it's, you know, email's not good enough. You have to send a letter. <laughs> one that long ago, actually. Mm -hmm. And you know, what, what it really, what it really amounts to is our generation was raised with face to face contact with telephone contact where you actually sat and had a conversation with someone like that. What people are really saying when they say you can't really, you know, have a friendship or communicate over the internet, what they're really saying is I can't do that. I don't understand how that works. Every generation has their own ways of communicating and getting together and doing things. Yeah. You, yeah. you can't really yeah. communicate with smoke signals. You know, we need to be in the cave together. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that that's definitely true. Uh, video games and watching my son is is certainly an enlightening aspect of video game play because mm -hmm. I see the way that it can create community. So there's something about mm -hmm. having an activity that everybody is passionate about between you that interconnects right. you in a world in which you can work together towards something, whether it's beating each other or working together against something. It's amazing. It, it's fantastic. And, and yeah. you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already believe that. <laughs> you're probably, we're not, we're probably not saying anything new to you. We are preaching, preaching to, the choir. to the choir. I just felt like when I heard Susie talking about this, I felt like, yeah, that's, that's definitely something that's going to be worth talking about. And I really appreciate that you and Ginger had this talk and generated this discussion. And I say, I want to say to people who are, who are worried, you know, who've moved somewhere new and are board gamers, that it takes some effort to do. You've got to be the one to search it out. But there, I can guarantee you, there's probably a board gaming community of some, some size in your area, unless you're in a really rural place, but any major cities and, and sure. smaller cities, um, it takes work to go to meetup.com or you know that kind of thing and, and to take that first step but it's so worth it it is so freaking worth it yeah most likely there's a community now i know go several ahead. people yeah i know several people who don't have anything near them and but it depends on what you consider to be near you near yeah. most of our yep. gaming communities are at least an hour away from us and we absolutely will drive that far to go to absolutely. play games with people mm-hmm no, it might only be for for some people. Maybe it's only once a month, but at least that's getting you out and about and into a, a community that you can make friends with and all of that kind of thing. So, yeah. So there is always, if you are willing to put the work in, I believe that typically the gaming community is typically a very open and inviting community. We all want players. Because <laughs> uh, solo yes. games may be fun, but I don't 
see how they're that much fun. I could be wrong. People who play Friday will probably tell me otherwise, but uh, I'd prefer to play a game with people at the table. Well, it's been a good discussion. Hopefully we've uh, found some answers along the way, have some new questions to ask, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll see new directions in our discussion as we move forward. So for everyone else out there, check us out on the Discord at Geek Therapy. I can't say enough about the Discord at Geek Therapy. I'm not going to give you the kind of uh, commercial that Brandon did over on Geek Therapy Radio, but get on the Discord. It, it's really <laughs> it's such a growing community of people, and you will find like-minded gamers and geeks of all sort there, um, and I believe we are just as welcoming and uh, open a community as you might expect from going to a game convention. So get on the Discord. Come join us. Come talk to us about all the things that we talk about and the things that you want to talk about so that we can have more to talk about. Rolling for Change is all about building community and identifying transformational moments in gaming. Hopefully we've done that for you. And holy crap, do we have an awesome community at the right? Discord. It's amazing. Amen. Yay! So many great channels. So you can anything you can think about, you can you can join in on the Discord and talk about it. And if we don't have a channel for it, Voila! You are your own creator. Tell us what you want, and uh, our our Discord minions will go forth and create a place for you. Yeah, because some <laughs> absolute genius came up with the idea for an emotional support channel. Um, don't know who that might have been. Self love. Um, but everyone thought it was a everyone thought it was a great idea, and it's been highly u- utilized. So, um, <clears throat> go whoever that might have been. <clears throat> Me. <clears throat> yes. A, a grand addition to our, our Discord family. And you, dear listener, you too can, can add to our Discord family. And we look forward to seeing you there. All right, guys. All that's left to do is tell everyone else. Keep on rolling for change. Oh, I like the way we came in on that. Yeah. I figured if I slowed down enough. (laughs) (laughs) That was not rehearsed at all. Ginger and I were already leaning and waiting for it. We're like, (laughs) (laughs) you don't roll for change. (laughs) You've been listening to Rolling for Change, a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. In this episode, we talked about the ways that gaming creates friendship and community. We want you to join our community, and you can do so in the following ways. Our email is gamers at rollingforchange.com. Our Twitter is at rollforchange. But to really engage with a supportive and amazing community, go to geektherapy.com forward slash discord. There you'll find a cornucopia of like-minded folks who are all looking for ways to geek out and do good. We chat there often, and we hope to see you there soon. Finally, we want to give a big shout-out to Rocket Scientists. They created the music you're listening to right now, but more importantly, they've created a ton of great music, and you can find it all on bandcamp.com. Go there and buy stuff. Once again, thanks so much for listening now. Get back out there and get to rolling for change. Rolling for change.